Hi, welcome to the Songs with Substance podcast. I'm Ren, I'm a musician, and on this podcast I have existential conversations with introspective musicians. Today's introspective musician is Nicholas LB, a Montreal-based artist. We spoke about how to market your music in an authentic and mindful way. We spoke about the limitations of having a scarcity mindset as an artist. We also spoke about the value of making art when the world around you seems to be increasingly chaotic and full of distress why art matters, why artists matter, the advantages and limitations of the music industry today compared to how it used to be, the benefits and drawbacks of having music become so democratized in today's social media sphere, all that and a lot more as if it wasn't enough. So uh, stay tuned to hear about all of that and um, yeah, subscribe if you haven't already. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you on. Thank you for um, having me, man. Let's just uh, get acquainted with you. And I'd love if you could just um, present yourself and your uh, musical journey so far. Sure. These are always the hardest questions, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, it's like going <laughs> the around the room ones. and introducing yourself to a group or something. Oh, like the icebreakers are the worst. Um, my name's Nick Barkman. Um, I'm 26 years old. I've been operating as a musician for something like the last seven-ish years or something like that. Essentially, ever since I was in high school, I've sort of had my hands in some form of making music publicly or sharing it publicly, I think. Yeah, I'm living in Montreal right now. I have a small amount of grant funding at the moment. So over the last nine months, I've been working on a, a full-length record. I guess you'd call it a debut. Debut. Mm -hmm. um, uh yeah I, I have a band out here that i really love and that i'm working with um that's sort of been my mainstay for the last little bit i don't know yeah yeah it's funny because um the last three guests on this podcast have been montreal based um but also i don't think it's a coincidence because montreal tends to attract a lot of really cool up-and-coming artists i feel it has that reputation for a good reason Mm -hmm. um, so I'd be curious to hear what attracted you to Montreal and why did you decide to to spend this grant year there? I moved here three years ago, so I moved during COVID. Um, and I had been living in Vancouver for the previous five, I think, years, making music out there as well. I don't know. Montreal was always on my radar as a place that I wanted to migrate to, I think. A lot of people do that sort of transition from the West Coast out here. Um, and other places in Canada. I don't know. It feels like, I mean, it had the reputation to to me as a city that more of like sort of facilitated the arts in a different way. I think there's so many reasons for that. I guess the, the sort of rent rental market here makes that more possible. Some people claim that's sort of why uh, the history of it sort of facilitates that as well or whatever. COVID made it possible because of the sort of... Uh, the, the surplus money that was coming in at the time and things like that. And also just the time to sort of, um, I don't know, decompress and sort of reorient. Yeah. So that's why and when I made that choice, I suppose. But definitely like with music as sort of the central, yeah, the heart of that decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel that the pandemic has 
changed your relationship to your creative process, if at all? Like in many way, myriad ways, I would say for sure. Um, COVID started like that April of that year, whatever, and it sort of became clear after a, a month or a couple months, or whatever, that it was going to be a mildly long-term thing and that there was going to be uh, income support for people in Canada, at least to, to sort of just get through it or whatever. Uh, I think for years I'd always thought that if I wasn't being distracted by the myriad lifestyle things, like having to have a, a regular job and focus on um, like whatever, budgeting my income and things like that, that I would uh, dive into music deeper and see development faster and things like that. I think COVID really disproved that, if anything, because I found mm. that the sort of looming stress of the experience or the kind of cloudedness that I feel like most people are experiencing emotionally, cognitively at the time made that not at, like, I don't know, it was sort of like a, a demystifying experience. I was like, okay, just because I have all the time in the world doesn't actually mean that that will immediately happen. But then conversely, having this experience over the last year of sort of having the, essentially the same thing, like having my income sort of being managed by a third party um, such that I can devote the time to it has been like completely different. I don't know if that has to do with my own um, self-growth between the two things or the context of it or whatever, but COVID was interesting at that period of time because I feel that it sort of disproved that myth maybe I had been telling myself, which was valuable because then it's like, if, if it's not just the circumstances surrounding me that are preventing, you know, maybe me feeling like I'm not getting what I want out of it enough, then there's something else that I can focus on instead. Um, mm -hmm. More in my control, debatably. It's very interesting to hear about those two experiences, because on both ends, you have all the time in the world to create but when it almost sounds like when it was enforced by an external party, it made it hard to be creative. But now that you are choosing to be a full-time artist and that that is being supported financially, it's like a, an enriching and, you know, motivating creative uh, experience for you. Something like that. Does that for sound sure. about right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, the intentionality is massively different. The timing of it in this case is far more like sort of autonomous. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think the the key part of the the, the COVID nineteen the pandemic part thing is is that it just was disorienting, like not just for me, but mm. for sort of everybody around me. The environment of that period of time kind of almost prevented it. I don't know. And I know that I heard a lot of artists sort of uh, saying the same things around that time that for some reason, that period of time, despite it being open ended, um, was not very inspiring or whatever. And I did work throughout it. It just wasn't the sort of like, you know, the like day to day, like full time mm -hmm. kind of experience that for years when I was younger, I would have assumed that that's all I was lacking was the freedom to pursue it. Um, yeah, it turned out not really to be the case in in that case. Um, mm -hmm. I can't. I don't know why. There's so many sort of things in the atmosphere at that time that it would be hard to nail down exactly why. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I had the same experience. Like, COVID was actually the period of time where I thought about giving up on my creative goals altogether. I didn't write anything for like two right. years which was weird for me because i used to write all the time yes um and then i didn't write anything at all i mean when i say that my keyboard was collecting dust like it literally was you could just like swipe a finger on it and like it would show you know so 
yeah, it's wild how as artists, it's almost like you are a very sensitive person who is sensitive to your environment and you can sense the collective, you know, distress and that sort of can block you, which actually ties into a question I wanted to ask you because it's another big question, but you know, this is the name of <laughs> that, the game on let's this go podcast. There. That's, I'm ready for <laughs> that's that why now. we're here, you know. We've broken the um, ice enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now, but all the time, like so many conflicts, like that. it just seems like there's so many distressing things happening for other people all the time. And sometimes as artists, it can feel, at least for me, like, what's the point of making art in this context like art seems i'm not saying that it is but it seems like a frivolous thing sometimes when you are surrounded by such collective suffering and like chaos and you know it seems like a again these are big words and i don't believe in them but it sometimes seems like a pointless thing to devote your time uh to in that context i hear to what degree do you disagree with that and like how do you um keep Not investing in yourself as an artist with I that in mind. Because you hear that often, I, I think, when um, if a topic is broached about a current event or something like that, I, I hear artists of, you know, every degree of establishment or, or commitment to their craft sort of sometimes say things and I don't not all artists but I often hear artists say yeah sort of put down the the practice of it or something like that it, it, with respect to more pressing and important sort of uh careers or, or practices of devotion that people have in their own lives I where I'm, I'm settling now in these days is mostly that like I've, I don't know how to explain this like at the risk of sounding controversial maybe that I do think it's incredibly important. I think that that goes without saying in some ways, like this sort of merit of contributing to culture in a specific kind of way or contributing to the arts as an overall um, facet of humanity is of, of value and that facet is of value. And, but like also that if I'm devoting myself to it in the way that I do, it is the most important thing to me. I do believe somehow that it is the, the, the greatest point of contribution that I can make. And I don't think that that's a story I'm telling myself, but more that I believe it. I think that there's sort of a, a real, my passion is sort of in undebatable within myself when it comes to those sorts of things. I don't know. I experience the most positive local shifts in, in my social world through this practice i like sort of find that i'm able to offer the most to other people through uh my yeah commitment to this practice if that makes sense yeah the question that comes to mind bouncing off of that is what how do you hope to influence people through your art do you have a main message or not necessarily nothing that i could concretize super easily i think um i i feel i feel really tremendously like uh I feel very tr authentically committed to seeing people themselves find the thing for them that, that resonates at the level that I sometimes have that experience through my own work. Like my experience of writing, like specifically in the writing process, that when inspiration is coming, flow state, these kinds of things is like so incredibly spiritually powerful, rejuvenating, healthy, this kind mm -hmm. of like, it's like the, the serious um, content of, my life or like i don't know it, it's that's what i'm sort of chasing through the thing and i think the process of finding that for yourself 
is also uh, universally um, experienceable and accessible. Um, different routes for everybody, impossible to sort of like give someone concrete, practical advice on how to obtain that. But I do know that it's possible. I get really, really excited when I see people approaching it, when I see people engaging with it. Um, I want to encourage it like fundamentally. And that's sort of what I'm talking about when it comes to like how I can feel like it is a serviceable thing to be doing. Like I, I, I feel that art gets painted in this sort of light as if it's a selfish action, like as if it has something to do with self-serving. Um, and I understand it because sometimes and or often like the content of artwork is a reflection of the self and it sort of, you are constructing things in an image that is filtered through your own sort of ego identity or whatever it might be. I guess I'll also say that like in terms of the work I'm doing these days, I'm also making a conscious effort to incorporate a certain amount of what I'm talking about now into the actual work so that the lyrical contents of it or something like that also is portraying that type of encouragement or that enthusiasm for uh, encouraging that universal experience. It, it's mostly because that's what I'm interested in at the moment. So it is just naturally coming up through the, through the music. I hope that makes sense. That's yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. and, and I identify with it a great deal. Um, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot that you brought up that I want to touch base on. But sure. I like that you brought up the flow state and encouraging people to be uniquely themselves. Those two things seem very crucial and they seem very like tied into why art matters, you know? Yes. Why it has value for people and why it isn't exclusively self-serving but then you taught you touch base on the ego and um sort of that weird dichotomy where when you make art it is about yourself and it has to be in order to be relatable weirdly something like that yes um so what how do you think that an artist re should relate to their ego do you think it's important um do you think it should be transcended like where are you at on that i think spectrum that in this, like, if we're using the word ego to describe it in a, in a spiritual context, or like, like, I don't know the ins and outs of this super well, but like, in the sense of like a Buddhist tradition, perhaps, um, as being the kind of exterior portion of the self or whatever, uh, the, the, the outward facing portion of the self, um, it's there, it's a part of the experience of being, it's something that we uh, all possess. And like, I, I, I think if you read certain people, it, it, it's rarely disparaged. It's something to take into consideration and to maybe be mindful of as a particularity of your experience, but not something to just, you know, like get rid of or, or to uh, discard completely. I think art is a perfect sort of venue for experimenting within it. I, I, I think the more playful you can be with respect to that thing, like there's something to be said about indulging in ego and what the results of that look like versus uh you know distancing yourself from it a bit more as well and both things i think are meritable experiments you know I, I i don't know if that makes sense um but when when one talks about art they also ego comes up as it's sort of a different thing too like in maybe the more social sense of like inflated ego and what uh yeah, what the experience of like self-indulgence looks like in a public way or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if I have enough experiences of really 
having that inflation happen in order to <laughs> know how to navigate or what that would look like. But yeah, I like it, it, maybe to speak more literally, like I, a lot of, I've noticed in my own writing, uh, uh, tons of eyes, the letter I, you know, like writing from a first person's perspective is, is common and uh, maybe kind of automatic in some cases, which at times feels kind of, you know, I want to make conscious efforts to move away from that too, and to try and find other perspectives and and um, and speak maybe more from we perspectives and whatnot. And I do that as well. I don't know. It just feels like yeah. playing, but but there's I don't think there's anything wrong with coming from that I perspective. And sometimes I think that some really interesting. Um, yeah, like what people resonate with can be surprisingly personal. I think, I think that's mm -hmm. sort of, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the really weird paradox, at least I find as a listener is when artists speak about themselves in a way that indicates that they have really, um, developed their self-awareness and they've really sat with themselves, the, the specifics of what makes them, them and what mm -hmm. makes them feel the way they feel and what traumas perhaps impacted who they've become like this is highly personal stuff that you would think isn't necessarily super relatable because it's so unique to each person mm -hmm. but the more an artist does that the more their work is powerful to me and relatable to me and touching to me absolutely so i think there's there is this weird paradox of like you know f being se healthily self-centered helps yeah. others in a way I, but it's I, almost I, like being self-centered plus self-aware about it. I completely agree. The key. And I find mm -hmm. it, yeah, that, that has been a big facet of like the sort of therapy work that I've done over the last couple of years is just the incredible, like I feel that I've done a total 180 maybe in terms of my perspective on some things like that. Um, I am shocked perpetually at how by focusing on myself, by, by focusing on my own health and self-care and, and examining myself and in the context of therapy, speaking about myself, essentially self-indulgent activities, if that's what you wanted to call them, can be so socially profitable or whatever, like can mm -hmm. the capacity for empathy that increases the experiences I've had with people of vulnerability and openness and the quality of my relationships, all that changing through that practice. It's just crazy to me how like little that seems to get coverage or whatever um self-care is something that people talk about for sure and it's it's out mm. there and you, people know the word and whatnot but to yeah somehow seemingly paradoxically by going inwards you create a greater capacity to go outwards which i yeah it's amazing honestly and i think art can is and can be um an extension of that same kind of practice where it's like it is sort of a it's a self ish self hyphen ish thing mm -hmm. to do um but, i love that yeah a self hyphen ish thing to do it's um, actually the perfect way to talk about it because it's like it's profoundly not selfish but it relates to the self very smart love it yeah we should put yeah. that on a shirt or something well, it, that's almost like seems like where that word should have come from i'm not sure yeah <laughs> Yeah, that should be the origin of the word. If only we knew. Um, let's swerve onto your perception of the music industry today, because that's obviously a big topic and one that's important to the podcast also, for sure. Mm -hmm. How do you perceive it right now? How do you feel being an indie <laughs> artist in the music scene today? I don't know. <laughs> um, 
No, it's it's good. <laughs> it's going <laughs> it's fine. Nice. I don't know. I like I this year especially I've been focused very much on I've done a bit of show playing and, and publicity stuff, whatever, self organized things this year to support a release I put out in March, but also to prepare for inevitably releasing what I'm working on now, I guess. Like that has been the motivation behind it. But it hasn't been very comprehensive. I feel that I have been pretty sort of in the studio sort of in isolated space with just you know the people i'm working with for the most part over this period of time so i haven't really like been in that enough to really have like rapid fire opinions about different things necessarily but um Mm -hmm. simultaneously i have used the time to i would also use the word experiment with the resources that have been being recommended to me through the program and things like that Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I've never done before, like going to uh, like networking events or something like that. That was one thing I did in at the end of the summer that I thought was really interesting and kind of illuminating because I've never put myself into a, an environment mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So in terms of industry, I don't know. But as far as those resources for artists that sort of exist, I, I've seen a lot of that. And I, f- I found that kind of fascinating in different ways, both the good and the bad. What do you think your biggest learning curve is? is right now always going to be in terms of learning how to market your work with respect to marketing like the way that i've been i'm trying i want to view it differently in the past i've always sort of had the experience of having something become finished like a product or whatever Mm -hmm. an album or a piece of music whatever it is and then just trying to follow the guidelines that are sort of readily available to people to to in terms of marketing and and rarely does that really it the the biggest hang up for me in that process is that it never feels right it it rarely feels fluid and like it's like you know it's kind of like having to remove yourself from it's like living in two separate spaces the creation phase and then the marketing phase as if they have nothing to do with each other and are completely Mm -hmm. distinct um and kind of uh, counterintuitive to each other or, or maybe jagged and not necessarily matching up. That has been my experience with it, where various mm-hmm. parts of that. So I want to find a way to marry the two things more. I, and mm-hmm. that's just a personal project, I suppose. Um, on that last, on the episode that you and I talked about at one point that you did with Sarah Rossi uh, on here, you guys talked about, I think authentic marketing was maybe the, the word that you used. I thought that was yeah. awesome. And it just, it sort of, I immediately went to mindful marketing too, as a, mm-hmm. a the, the same or a different word for the, the same idea. But this idea of like having each aspect of that process feel just as much sort of like a creative outlet as the work can be. Knowing that by the time you're putting something out there and in the way that you're doing it, that it resonates at the same level that making the work does. And I think mm-hmm. that that by definition would see better results, you know, than you know, this, this um, practice of doing things that don't feel in alignment. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a sense of what mindful marketing would look like for you? I think that already I've had experiences of like coming up with an idea f- for how to share something and or how and and just that experience of like, oh, that feels right that feel really would work and i am getting excited about the construction process and i'm getting excited about so that by the time the thing is done whatever that be a tiktok or a, like a, i don't have tiktok but like something like that you know uh an instagram post or whatever that i'm like really excited to share it because it represents something that i yeah i don't know there's like a resonance between it something unspoken that i can't quite name but um being sure that 
eat everything is like that. I don't know. Like, this is not good advice. Like, this is the opposite advice that most people would give you in terms of marketing music. There's all sorts of things about how frequently one should post and what that content should look like and uh, engagement statistics mm. and things like that. Um, but so long as those things are sort of causing you uh, stresses and, and unfavorable feelings, I don't, I can't see how they would be um, valuable to the overall practice, you know, or like sustainable as, as practices within it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, totally. I, I like the word mindful marketing. I don't know if I've come around to diagnosing exactly what it is yet, <laughs> but I'm going to continue to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's definitely something that's worth contemplating more. Um, I mean, first of all, mindful marketing is just a great marketing word for yeah, mindful marketing. It's just, word, sure. You might actually be pretty good at marketing low key, but, but it is a great buzzword, but it also, it's very significant. And I think it is totally achievable. And I know that we've spoken about this before, but I'm very much in agreement with you that there's no real formula to find success. And also success is in and of itself a term that is just so individual. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, when I see all these people advising artists on how to get their metrics up and whatever, it seems like such a homogenized formula that when I hear it, I'm like, I, I see where you're coming from, but it also feels like you're asking artists to be profoundly uncreative, non-creative. Like you're asking artists to not be artists anymore. You're asking them to follow a formula. And, you know, in a way, marketing is a very like people pleasing thing. It's like, I want to please the audience so they buy my product. But being an artist is the opposite of that. Theoretically, it's like a disruptive thing, even mm -hmm. if it's not disruptive in a violent way. It's like, I'm trying to to sort of maybe change your perception of the world, of humanity, of, you know, a certain like life experience. I'm trying to offer up a new per perception or perspective, you know, the whole point of being an artist is to be creative. So to create something new, which is to me, the opposite of being a people pleaser. So those things seem really hard to like, to reconcile. Mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that there is a way for artists to be creative in the way that they use social media to market themselves, almost viewing social media like a, you know, little TikTok or reel as a, just a canvas that you can play with instead of being like, I'm going to post, like you said, like every day at 5 PM, like the mm -hmm. same 15 seconds of my song over and over. Like it's not to shape people who do that because I totally get it. And it's the thing that works. Mm -hmm. But at that point, are you making art for people or are you making art for an algorithm? Is your art becoming self-serving? You know, like we talked about before, mm -hmm. is it actually of service to others or is mm -hmm. it mostly serving yourself? I'm not sure. These are questions. <laughs> That's where I feel like I'm at is just asking questions. I don't feel like I'm answering any. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. I feel sometimes that this podcast is just like <laughs> a can of worms. Like we yeah. just open a bunch of cans of worms and leave them out. Good. Leave them all over. That's <laughs> all over. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it stinks. Honestly, we need to There's, clean that up. That reminded me of um, a bunch of things, and I'm gonna have to find them all now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, one thing. The I think you're right, absolutely. But the uh, like for me, when I see somebody doing like because sometimes once in a while you know follow an artist i like because for some reason <laughs> i don't know what that is um, <laughs> and uh 
and see the way that they promote their own work or something like that and love it, fall in love with it in some specific way. Be like, that's so cool. Like, you know, it'll be the way that they, I don't know, portray themselves in that context or just the sort of haphazard method that they uh, conduct their social media or something like that. I'm thinking of some specific examples. I won't necessarily name anyone to, to single them mm-hmm. out. But um, And to me, what I feel that I'm seeing, just in the same way that when I resonate with music, um, I can kind of tell that the things that I'm gravitating towards have this quality in them because it's not based on genre. It's not based on the aesthetic qualities of the music or whatever it might be. It has more to do with there being, a, I'm sensing this authentic outpouring, this aspect of some sort of like truth telling that's coming through the work. I think in the very same way, the marketing that I gravitate towards also has that quality. It's when somebody, and often the most innovative marketing is coming from that place too, where somebody's not really thinking about performance. It's not really about it doing well, or there's, it's not, it's not this meticulous sort of logical crafting of something meant to prey on human senses. It's more just an authentic expression. Um, but in the case happening through the language of marketing rather than a different artistic medium. I like this idea of like trying to view it as its own medium rather than something separate from the artistic process entirely. Of course, this makes it so that you, it, if you start doing that, I don't think that you can follow those types of rubric guidelines that people set up uh, in terms of time and deadline and, and how often and the sort of al- algorithmic um, uh, pleasing practices that, that get spoken about. So it's, as it stands, it's bad marketing advice because it doesn't adhere to those expectations. But at the same time, I think it's a more sustainable and and it has more longevity. There's something about that that you could, even those pieces of marketing could potentially last longer than their um, their value in terms of promoting a product or whatever. Uh, I, again, mm-hmm. that just is an idea that fascinates me. It's not necessarily something that I think is is practical or that people yeah. um, ought to do. But it's like it's what I want. I think out of that, if I'm going to, as an independent artist, have to conduct all the marketing portions of the process myself. I want to have that relationship to it, not the other one, because I've tried the other one and frankly, it just doesn't work. Um, I don't see results through it mostly because I don't think I'm connecting to it. There's something deeply inauthentic about doing that for me. And so it, I, I, I run into blocks all the time with it. It's harder to, to motivate myself to do it. And, and often just doesn't even feel good when doing it, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about this in another call too, but I'm going to bring it up again (laughs) because I think it's so true that when you promote your work in an inauthentic way, even when you get results, it doesn't feel fulfilling Exactly, because you're like, you're not prioritizing human connection. You're prioritizing metrics in that moment. And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I know that metrics matter to some degree, like, especially if you're trying to commercialize your work and trying to live off of it, you do need a certain amount of streams and like to sell a certain amount of tickets and sell merch and all this stuff to sort of make it financially work but there's a way to find like a healthy middle ground between you know making music for metrics versus making music for people Mm -hmm. Um, i also think that uh the present model or whatever or those advices that industry people will offer so i'm sure there are people where that does resonate more with and they probably succeeded at far greater because it just had already you know the expectations align with the qualities that they possess or some sort of strengths that they might possess now. I think fundamentally it's a completely 
person to person thing. And I think that that's what's so interesting about like music industry advice and something that I encountered through those types of events that I or workshops, whatever that I was attending is that how universal the advice comes off at as if these things are just ubiquitously applicable to every person. Um, but that just can't be true. And I, and I think I found that the more, uh, I just, I have a belief that everybody sort of has their own path to follow and that the process of getting in touch with what works for you is an experimental process. Try this, try that. If it doesn't feel right, then that's not it. Move away from it and gravitate towards the things that really sort of pull you and grip you, which is again, just the same way that you discover your voice while making music or something like that. It's almost the same process. Um, yeah. yeah, but but yeah, universalizing that stuff. I just it's, it feels so <laughs> it doesn't feel right. It feels like that would be where a lot of people will experience blocks and experience like bad results or whatever. Yeah, something that I wanted to ask you as well, which is kind of pertaining to this is what price do you think one has to pay when they choose to commercialize their art, if any? I think none. I think that there's nothing wrong with having that sort of as a latent somewhere priority in your mind while, I would say not while working, but throughout the entire practice as a facet of your practice or whatever. Um, it's funny to me that sometimes I still encounter people who seem to think that it's there's something wrong with <laughs> wanting to receive any compensation for putting effort into art at all. Um, but I mean, what, if you've done it for any amount of time, extended amount of time, you realize that it just is completely unsustainable. If you don't at some point want, think about that or want that. I, so I don't think there's any, um, uh, uh, what was sanctions on, uh, on an artist having that desire somewhere in them. Um, I would say though, that I don't think, and for, I, I, feel pretty strongly about this, that it enters into the creation, creation portion of the thing. Um, at least for myself, that's not something I want to do. I don't want to compromise the content of the work with thoughts about how it will be viewed, especially, but then furthermore, if and how to make it successful. Um, that feels sort of like a personal thing, though. I feel that the music that I've made and continue to make that is has the quality that I'm looking for that sort of affects me the way that I want is just something that just doesn't have that quality. And it's just like, that's just doesn't really enter the, the conversation at all. Um, I kind of believe that most people would benefit from that type of, of experience of making art of a, a judgeless sort of like internal, you know, this is the space where I do, you know, whatever. And then, that part comes later, the sort of how will I share it and will it be shared at all and those kinds of things. I just don't think there should be compromises in the actual, the working portion, the creative act, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, which can be really hard to do, you know, because I think this is also part, partly what influenced my question of like how an artist should relate to their ego, because in a certain sense, as an artist, most of the time, even when you're talking about yourself, you're making art for other people. So how do you make art for other people without um, getting influenced by how they receive your art? You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. It's really yeah. hard. I see that. Yeah. I think that like at all moments of generating things, 
you are just living in this miasma of all this, the influences that you have around you. It's, it's impossible not to be. So by definition, of course, it filters in. I think it's just more the conscious thing. Like I'm thinking about like, um, you know, if I sit down and write a song and I get to a part where I'm like, oh, and now a bridge, you know, and that feels right. But then I'm like, oh, but bridge longer streaming, you know, the algorithm's not going to like four and a half minutes or whatever. Like, and then I, I actively... Um, inhibit myself it could cut something down or like you know the creative process is halted by this internalized um commitment to something like that then i think it's problematic uh but you know it, that might happen unconsciously too and in that case i almost don't mind it as much weirdly even if the result was the same um i just think mostly yeah like try it's almost like I remember in high school or whatever, they would say, you know, you like write a first draft of your essay or whatever and don't edit it as you're writing. You just do it. And then the, that's a phase two sort of thing. If you're editing while writing, you're actively stifling the process of flow, essentially, is what that was. Um, likewise, with the with the music, I think. Yeah. What makes you edit something? How do you like edit your work in a way that continues to be aligned with you and not your audience? I, the experience for me feels like sculpting, if that makes sense. Uh, if I'm writing a song I, and the lyrics are coming, and usually if I'm writing a song and have written, I'll try to write as much of it as possible right away as soon as the sort of it's there. That's in terms of being in flow. But I might not get everything. There might be little pockets that don't feel like they're complete. And that's what I mean by sculpting. It's like, I don't know what makes it incomplete why one line needs to be changed versus another one i can't explain what the difference between those two things are but i can sense it and so the process is just sort of like looking at the thing and being like okay that needs to come out and that needs to move and that you know and then eventually it is done and i don't know what the quality of being done is either but that would my experience of doing that just doesn't have anything to do with it's being viewed it's really truly a self-pleasing experience um, and I just have a faith-based relationship to if I'm committed to that and that when it's that done quality that I'm experiencing sort of effervescently or whatever, that that will be the most valuable thing for others. Um, that somehow the internal compass is guiding me towards something that will be, yeah, shareable, if that makes sense. I have like, mm -hmm. and th these are new things for me. I wouldn't even say that much of the music that I've released in the past came with this kind of method in mind. I feel like I'm kind of been developing this over the last couple of years and it's been crystallizing in this way that I'm able to articulate it now. I have written music in the past where I was thinking about a topic and wanting to share that, but I always felt that those weren't as strong. There was something about that where there was, it was being forced a bit uh, when I was trying to really tell a story. I've never been able to write songs about, um, like relationships, let's say very well about a person in mind, you know, because as soon as I give myself something like an object to fixate on, it gets very hard to for it to feel natural. Um, and I don't think I've ever really kept anything that that started with that intention, usually the thing. But then, you know, if I do if I write like this, in this sort of cascading and intuitive way, I find out later that those songs were incredibly personal and did have meaning and do have like sort of content that that is specific and whatever, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the... I love that. <laughs> that. That is so the magic of being creative. And I love that you do this gesture. 
because it's exactly how it feels. <laughs> like it feels like it falls into you, mm-hmm. and like it doesn't come from you in a way when you write music in this flow state. It feels like truly. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think it felt like catching butterflies, you know? Yeah, that's and beautiful. like sometimes there are no butterflies around and you can noodle around the piano and like nothing happens. Yeah. And sometimes you just like get one, like almost like an animal crossing. You go to gloop and you just show your <laughs> butterfly and you're just so like Absolutely. proud of it. And it happens so fast. And, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, to me, the songwriting process almost feels like piecing together the puzzle of my unconscious mind like as long as i'm in the flow my it's almost like my conscious mind is offline and my unconscious mind can just like you know churn out random words random phrases random melodies and i just have to piece them together but it's very interesting before you were saying that when you try and write something from a theme or from a story it doesn't work and I relate to that. And I think my theory would be that it's because it's too mental. It's not intuitive anymore. Fully. Yeah, I Um, agree. And as soon as you get into this like paradigm of I'm going to make art to impress people or I'm going to like force uh, a theme Mm -hmm. because I mean, it's worth experimenting with for sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, force doesn't work. I still have faith too, that there are potentially people where that method is somehow, uh, more primary mm-hmm. or, or is works for them better whatever it is i don't know if there are any again universal rules for each person yeah but for me this has sort of been what the experience has been like i resonate and i hear that you know reflected back at me through if i'm interested in other artists and seek out their mm-hmm. them talking about their own methods i'll hear fragments of my own experience reflected through it and i'm like yeah yeah you know but uh mm-hmm. but then there are people who write songs that are topical and about current events and these sorts of things and some of them are amazing and completely beautiful too so it might just be that for me that type of yeah rigidity um is stifling um but not necessarily for everyone and the only way you would ever know that is by trying both or something like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that's so true you know because it almost reminds me of our conversation about like uh covid stifling your creativity because I think, I mean, definitely there were people during COVID who became successful through their music because they were confined. And so they just made more music and they were more productive. Mm -hmm. So it's like for some people, limitation can generate creativity, Mm -hmm. you know, where for others, like you and I, I suppose, like we need freedom um, that comes from a different source. Like we need the freedom to move and to sort of play and uh yeah yeah, so i appreciate you mentioning that there's no one way to do things it's it's a dangerous road to go down um and i I never want to make blanket statements about creativity because it's such a mysterious unpredictable thing it's so mysterious it's so magical in that way i really like the mystery of it i think Um, yeah yeah (laughs) you mentioned also before i really appreciated this um because i think about it all the time how today you're encouraged to sort of make music that is very homogenized and short and like easy to digest because people's attention spans are short or so we're told but i don't necessarily agree with that i I think that like yeah yeah i think if you if you love music like you'll listen to like an eight minute long pink floyd intro like you know if you like pink floyd you're not gonna sure be like come on get to the point bro like it's Mm -hmm. art yeah it makes me think about 
the argument that sometimes people make that you know artists like uh tom york and kate bush and people who were very uh shy and like didn't like to market themselves and made music that was like a bit out there sometimes and were really creative technologically with their music but also you know creatively maybe they would have a harder time starting out today it's such a slippery slope i find for myself to really investigate like the past in that way and i do it all Mm -hmm. the time like inadvertently because i just love that like when i love something or connect with something i like someone's music or whatever i really want to know more about them and i'm often really like sort of uh it's really rewarding to to go in there and find out even more sometimes it makes the music richer or the art richer or whatever it is um, but simultaneously, like it's almost if you're also a practicing artist, it's hard not to compare yourself to the stories you hear and things like that. But fundamentally, like even at that distance, Tom York, like that's like the 90s. That's like, you know, it's a long that period of time, let alone much larger periods of time. Um, it's just impossible to compare what it's like now versus what it would have been like then. And then also you're working with the limited information that you're getting access to through the sort of mythos and sensationalization that biography has and whatnot. So it's sort of like I am attempting more and more to enjoy those things as entertainment, but to not allow them to sort of come too close to how I view myself and what, you know, it's probably true. You pluck Tom York out of the that his period of time when he was coming up and put him now it i don't know what would happen it would be completely different but no less but um yeah but yeah there's just yeah i don't know that made me think mm-hmm. of that. i'm not sure yeah that well in, in a way I, I feel like you have to be braver today to make music that doesn't fit the mold than maybe you used to because you don't have as much backing though i will financially and with labels and stuff you know like labels are pretty much looking for people who already have an audience to sign you for, for the most part where before there was a lot of artist development and so it was a different scene but then of course before it was way harder to like get noticed way harder to build an audience impossible to be independent pretty much so mm-hmm. there are advantages and disadvantages to both but i think where i'm trying to go with it is just how perhaps music today is just a little bit more homogenized than it used to be and the pressure to make music that isn't um sort of that doesn't fit the mold and even marketing on social media you know to market yourself in an original way like we were saying is is a brief thing to do because it's not what you're encouraged to do and it's not what you're being told is marketable Mm -hmm. which is like who sets the rules for that anyway you know yeah especially if your ambition is to somehow um, arrive at a place that feels accessible but successful or whatever, then yeah, like following those um, uh, those rubrics or the, the, those pieces of advice probably does feel really necessary. It's weird though, isn't it? Because simultaneously, while it might feel more homogenous uh, having artists gravitate towards existing trends in order to sort of obtain, get on that trajectory, whatever that is exactly, it's also like the uh, probably the easiest time in history to be as outlandish as you can and still find audience at all or like something like that you know because the outlet for self-releasing is so much greater and more accessible for people and whatnot so it has both qualities which is very strange it kind of i suppose depends on where what your priorities are as an artist in in terms of the 
career aspects or whatever it might be. I don't know all that much about Radiohead or Tom York necessarily, like the histories of it, but my imagination has me believing that like, you know, once they obtain sort of a certain amount of following and label um, support or, or just credibility, whatever it might be, that then the freedom opens up larger, or maybe that's the assumption because now it's like you can kind of get more experimental with what you're making and still expect there to be reception to it. Whereas if you're a, a burgeoning artist or somebody smaller, doing something so radical might be the thing that tips the scale and would just completely ruin what you had been building or whatever. I can see that pressure existing for sure. I don't know, but I'm sure it was also always hard to make choices like that, you know? Um, I think the only way that you could have the sort of uh, capacity to to do anything so weird <laughs> would be if if you're not thinking about the audience or the external too too much whilst in that yeah. period of creation mm -hmm. yeah yeah which in a way is actually I'm not sure maybe I would disagree and say it's easier to do when you're starting out than when you're established because you have no one to please you I think, can do I think whatever you really, want yeah I've heard a quote once that was like you have your whole life to make your first record and you have like six months to make your second record or something like that, which is why yeah, people yeah. say sophomore slump and the idea that mm. uh, most artists sort of second works after receiving a certain amount of success tend to flop a mm -hmm. bit because yeah, there's a, a lot of creative freedom when nobody's looking, <laughs> but as soon as you're confined to expectations and worse, I think it's that, you know, label expectations or, or these mm -hmm. sorts of more industry-based things that sort of expect you to deliver something because it, it, you become an aspect of, of commerce. It's like now you are expected yeah. to create a product within a certain amount of time that resembles something you did previously, which art just, I don't think, is capable of fitting into such bounds. Um, mm -hmm. If, yeah, by, yeah, by definition. Another argument for why the industry today is possibly easier and more fun than it used to be is that like you said, because you can be independent and you can release music to a small audience as soon as anytime you want, really, as soon as you want. Um, you can be as outlandish as, as you want, like you said. You could go your whole career if you wanted to, not signing to a label and not having anyone to please and to mm. pander to, you know. So in a way you could preserve your creativity for longer than before where perhaps like there was that label pressure that was inescapable because either you weren't a musician or you were and you were signed with a label and you had them telling you what to look like, what to do and what to create. Right. Not yeah. all the time, but like Elvis. But yeah. <laughs> or something yes. Like, like Elvis. Oh know. my gosh. <laughs> wouldn't want to be Elvis. Man. I don't think. Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to be Elvis either. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's made beautiful music. Like I love listening to Elvis, but that movie really made me, sad for him <laughs> oh i didn't see that but i it's a it's a good one nice. basil Armin. um yeah another aspect of the industry that i think is interesting perhaps more well it's a positive and a negative for me is uh how democratized music has become so anyone can do it which is great that's the positive aspect mm -hmm. is that there's no barrier to entry anymore and like anyone who wants to start experiment um, experimenting with music can mm -hmm. But maybe the challenging, not negative, but like the challenging aspect of it is that because everyone can do it, it feels like everyone is doing it. And so, and if you're a musician, the likelihood is that the algorithm is showing you a ton of musicians on your feed as well. 
and it can sometimes feel like what do i have to offer in the face of all of that why why bother you know when when hundreds of thousands of people are uploading music to spotify every week or every day why should i like you know so what keeps you going in the face of that sort of perceived oversaturation and competitivity i had this experience a couple maybe last month or a couple weeks ago i'm gonna tell us an anecdote to describe my how i feel about that because it felt really poignant and i've been thinking about it since um, I was having a day where I didn't have anything to do <laughs> or something like that. I was having sort of like a an easygoing day, so just wandering around and going into shops. Maybe I was doing laundry or something like that. Um, I went to a thrift store near my house, um, Renaissance, if you, you were used to live in Montreal. So yeah, like yeah. Thrifty. Um, and I was in the book section, and uh, in a thrift store in Quebec like that, like um, – because like it's not a bookstore, so it's not like sort of being as meticulously curated, organized, whatever. All the French and English books are just all kind of like together in, on shelves and whatnot. So it's just this mass of kind of like if I'm looking and I don't speak French well enough to read it like that, I have to kind of like go through each thing and read the spines of every book to even know what I'm looking at. Oh, and it's a thrift store. Sorry. So there's new releases and, and old releases and everything in between, atlases, encyclopedias, just any kind of piece of information you can imagine. And this is just one bookstore within a thrift store in a major city in canada like you know it's sort of and i was looking at all the books and i was like look at all this at one in one place it's there's so much information here no person in their lifetime could even read all the books in this particular you know area of the shop it's like why would anybody ever feel compelled to write another book like it's like there's so much here there's endless endless content like it would just never end um and I think I was thinking about that in relation to the question you're asking, sort of, because it is something that's kind of always on my mind in some respect. Just being present on the Internet is an experience of feeling overwhelmed and experiencing oversaturation of information at that level. Um, but I had this really brief glimpse, a sort of just a fleeting moment where I saw those books and information total, not as an archive or a collection, like something that's being backed up, but as a flow as a wave or as just a stream of things. It's like the reason people are still writing books is because they insert themselves into this present paradigm and then we continue to move forward and what's left is there. But like, you know, if you're thinking from this archivist perspective of like how many songs are uploaded to Spotify every day, it's like something like in the thousands, it's really overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're thinking of that as a box that's being filled and just constantly, yeah, that's, that's scary. But if you think of it more as the sand is just dropping and there's nothing catching it, <laughs> it starts to feel a bit more reasonable to to be involved in that. And I think that ultimately, mm-hmm. like human history sort of is that it's not, yeah, it's not something that's backing itself up and being static as a, a long and ever expanding. It's more like a a string <laughs> or something and on a, a parallel line maybe making something new isn't to say that my creation is worthy of being added to an archive and that it's somehow you know deserving of of filling up more space but it is rather Mm. just an expression which is being released in the moment that it is and that's where it lives and whatever happens to it after that is sort of up to 
up to the flow of things, I suppose. Oh my god. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of like mental images when in hearing you say that. Uh, it um, wasn't the most eloquent. I could have done a bit better if I had Oh no. That I mean rehearsed it, but I think it, you said it perfectly because for me it inspired a bunch of images, so I feel like you got me in the flow right there. <laughs> but yeah, I got this image of like, cause you're talking about the flow and like a, a stream and a wave and it almost made me feel like if you see humanity as like this one collective body of water, the more artists there are, the more momentum you give to a wave, small little waves sometimes, big waves sometimes, but the sound of the crashing waves is relaxing and it like brings you back to earth and we crave it and we listen to it on our iPhones when we're far away from the ocean just to relax sometimes. So it's like the role of the artist is just to contribute to the momentum of whatever wave is going on. And there's no such thing as too big a wave. And I know? think by default you will be because there's sort of like this finger on the pulse aspect to everybody. Like I don't think that's a conscious process. I think by definition, no matter what sort of like medium you're working in, no matter how anachronistic you might think your work is or whatever that is, like, you are of the moment. You are contemporary in that sense. There's a validity to doing any version of that thing. There's nothing more important about making pop music versus making chamber music or some sort of older form of music. There's preservation in that. There's innovation on the other end. Like it's sort of everybody is contributing simultaneously to the same thing. It kind of de defeats hierarchies too a little bit, I guess. I'm, it's a very abstract thought. <laughs> But I, I really liked it. It was mostly that it was an illuminating moment. It was just a second where I really felt that was true. I really sort of was like, oh, it's irrelevant like, that there's so many books. For me, the, that, that thought and insight, the fear falls away. All the fear starts to disappear. I have the same experience when I think about making and I stop defining, you know, sort of timelines for myself and thinking that age is going to have some sort of repercussion for my capacity to make and my generation of ideas or the access to opportunities I'll have as soon as I'm sort of like, Oh, I can just do, I can just do this, what I'm doing right now forever. And it's like, okay, I might. <laughs> and suddenly I don't have any more fears about time and, yeah. and patience and pressure and things like that. Yeah. Very briefly yeah. though. And then suddenly I'm afraid again, but <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah. I can get there, which is, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a constant process. I feel you on the age thing. It's like, for some reason, as I'm like, I'm in my late 20s, you know, I think we're the and same age, like, we're both 26 turning 27, I believe. I just turned 27 like a month ago, okay. or like two weeks ago. So yeah, Close behind you. we're in the, the same range. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's weird, because after 26, or as of 26, I really started to feel which is strange, because I know that 26 is young. And like, Really, I'm not trying to claim to be old by any means. But for some reason, this last year, I've felt time go by so much faster. Mm -hmm. Like, it just feels like I can see how the years go by in a flash and just how you have to seize opportunities and you have to be present with everything that you're doing and savor the seconds of your days, which I know sounds pretentious, but it's like, I'm actually having to teach myself to do this and to not multitask too much and to provide myself with enough new um, experiences to to sort of elongate the experience of time. I think I understand. Because otherwise I also feel just just scared about how quickly it's all going by and like, have I achieved enough creatively by this time? And 
you know, is it going to be too late for me if I don't find my definition of success in X amount of years or whatever? I mean, I, I do feel that pressure too. And I also, in the, there are moments where in meditation, I'm like, doesn't matter. Like exactly what you're saying. I, I will do this forever, no matter who's listening, because I love it. And it's important to me. And even if AI comes through and makes music that's like a hundred million times better than anything I could make and human artists aren't needed anymore. Well, I'll still have my material and I'll still noodle around a piano and it'll be just for me and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I, I have to keep reminding myself, myself of that because it is a pressure that, that does exist Definitely. and that feels heavy. I feel it's funny, like the music industry, most art, artistic creative industries sort of have different uh, kind of thresholds there in music it all if I think that it's a lot younger people tend to feel that like if before 30 you haven't sort of done something incredible that that's just it and that it's over and I have friends who have eclipsed and approached that um, that age over the last couple of years and have watched people sort of and it makes me so sad because it is sort of not true and there are other it, like if you were a film director uh, doing something by 30 or even after, like briefly after, would be an incredibly achievement. You'd be considered very young within that industry. So they're all different. It's just, a, it's an aspect of history and integration. It's just, that's sort of what has been. But yeah, there's definitely like a youth fetishization within music, especially pop music, I think, that is, yeah, inevitably felt. It's hard to avoid um, being influenced by that at least a little bit. I certainly struggle with it too. But that's why, yeah, like meditation or, or other sort of practices of regrounding and things like that allow just in a day-to-day -day way you to sort of deal with those pressures and not become completely overwhelmed by them to the point of burnout or or having it affect the practice, hopefully. That's something that I have started to do to try to implement. Because it's that, all the pressures, whatever that be, all the myriad pressures of being, of doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really love the parallel between how in different art forms, age is experienced completely differently. Mm. I love that. That 30, you could be considered old in music and young in film. Absolutely, yeah very or if you're an uh, author well, to be you you, yeah. you could be young in your 40s yeah. even and, and whatnot yeah you know? um that's so true all sorts of things. being a fashion designer the ages are all they're all over the place depending on the industry and i think that yeah. all that is is it just represents like somebody kind of uh experiencing accolades or a level of success in advance of what has been historically shown i don't think it really has anything to do with anything other than that um in my own, like I, I, there were period when I was in my early twenties for sure, making music publicly and things like that. I definitely desired to see wider spread public uh, recognition or whatever it was. But retrospectively, I'm very happy I didn't because I wasn't developed enough in so many different ways. I wouldn't have handled that very well. So for me, it doesn't. I don't really look back with any kind of negative feelings. Um, and furthermore, I don't know. I can't imagine what it's like for some younger, very famous people uh, in those positions just knowing where I was at, like emotionally and whatnot, at those points, it doesn't seem very attractive to me. Um, and also within the craft, like developmentally, like it's like only now, I think in my life, am I feeling like, okay, I, f I think I understand what I'm doing. Like, I feel like my method is kind of crystallized. I think I know what I want and like out of the practice of creating and where I want to sort of evolve with it. Like prior to this, a lot of it was kind of random. I <laughs> didn't really have that type of intentionality or, or direction. So I, yeah, you know. that's what I was going to say actually is like, 
I find it to be such a shame that we limit ourselves with age in music because your 20s in life, just as a person, are in many ways by default going to be full of experimentation and just you don't really know who you are yet. Like you're still, I mean, you're going to figure that out throughout your whole lifetime, but in your 20s, especially, you're coming out of your adolescence. Like you're, th these are the really important years of self-reflection um, in a way where you're sort of undoing things from your childhood and you're starting to understand yourself as an independent mm -hmm. adult. And so it's wild that it's like you have that decade to be successful. And by the time you're mature enough to possibly make your best work and technically skilled enough by that point to make your best work, well, too late. Like, sorry, you should have like figured this all out by 23. You know, it just seems so unfair and so ridiculous. And another reason why I'm grateful for the music industry today being so open in a way is that there's less barriers. Like you truly could just make music. Certainly. I want Forever. to dis dismantle that myth entirely. I don't want to see, you know, more 20 year old musicians. I would like to see people at all spectrums of age doing it because by definition, the con the work is going to be different. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. I, sometimes I just fantasize, like I said about the fear following way. I'm like, if I keep going, which I'm sure I will, I don't see why I would stop. Although I I'm open to surprises. So we'll see what happens. But, um, if I could be make, writing songs at 50, what will they be like? What will I be doing? Because I'm very committed to experimenting still and evolving and trying to do new things. Like, that's a fascinating idea. And I can't imagine that they'll be worse. <laughs> you know, I think it's a bit, so many people think, seem to think too, that like, you know, the, the inspiration factor, the idea portion of whatever is somehow limited. There's fear related to that experience where like, if I'm not catching and releasing every single thing I get that inevitably the well will run dry or something. I really don't believe that. And I really don't think anyone should. I want to dismantle that myth as much as possible. I think that the thing is ongoing. There's no reason to stop. We've talked about this before, but um, the scarcity mindset as, a, as an artist can be so self-limiting. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience with the scarcity mindset as an artist and what you had to do to sort of unlearn that yeah. and why you unlearned it. The, that, that, uh, I think that's an aspect of it, the scarcity of inspiration or ideas or even like creative vigor or something, <laughs> um, creative capacity maybe. Uh, I mean, I think that that exists because some people talk about it, but I'm, I'm skeptical and I, I just see artists who have lived long lives who never sort of saw a decrease in their capacity to innovate and do work. So that's part of my, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's built. I think we all sort of, I mean, if you wanted to get into the, uh, the, the, the uh, theory behind it or whatever, like living in a, a post-capitalist society, I think we all internalize a certain amount of a scarcity mindset just towards things, not necessarily material things, but just general like sort of our, our relation to ourselves and stuff like that. So that's one that I see frequently that I am trying to dismantle and somewhat successfully in myself. The other one would be scarcity with respect to success in that industry too, or any industry. Um, and that one's a little bit harder to uh, deconstruct, I guess, because it is a commercial industry and there is money in it and there are sort of like material aspects to it which by definition are limited but i find in practice that the less i am concerned like the less that i believe that somehow 
giving to others or, or like sharing my, I guess, appreciation or whatever it might be. Um, the, the less that I reserve that, the more flows back and forth. It's very hard to explain, but like the kind of like, it's so synergistic. And I, th but I do really think that so many people internalize this sort of, even within like a small music scene that, that I, I see all the time examples of how people seem to think that if, if they, yeah, if they're too generous with whatever it is that they have, that somehow they're giving away what they have rather than just sharing. I think the thing, it, it, it's more like multiplication than it is about exchange. Um, things aren't so transactional in that way. Uh, for example, if it had to do with like industry contacts, somebody has a black book of emails the, uh, to record labels or something like that, and they choose not to share them because they feel that by somehow giving away their trade secrets that they're going to lose some of the sort of accolade or prestige that they have. But that never is proven to be true. When you share, people share back, and there's a, like a sort of inherent communal aspect to that thing. Plus, it just feels good to to help people, and and I am deeply excited and passionate about watching people sort of tr do this thing like make and and commit to making and enjoy making and whatnot so it's i really get something i find out of promoting that and out of you know i don't have personally a lot to give <laughs> at most times i don't feel like i have resource wise at least well um, you're giving us your insight right now you know yeah, there's a lot of value so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah no but i i totally you know, it's like, you know, the, um, the wave metaphor we were talking about before, in a way, the more you help artists of your generation make art mm -hmm. and go far, the more momentum that wave that you're also on builds and the further the wave ends up going, you know, yeah. where like if you end up limiting everyone else's potential so that you go thinking that you'll go farther, you'll actually go less far because mm -hmm. you're holding back the momentum of the wave that you could have been I like that writing wave, with others yeah, looking at you it. know and i don't even think it's so pernicious like when i say that i don't i'm not imagining people consciously sort of like gatekeeping and being i think it's more an unconscious process it's that because there's this internalization of scarcity that there's hesitation to be generous with things like that or whatever um, and it's also not always so uh co cosmetic or material as like I said, emails or a black book or something that's physical and traded. I'm more thinking even just about appreciation, going to shows or, or sharing that something affected you or, or yeah, well, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, th this is like, for me, the way that I'm combating that um, is the way that I relate to artists on social media, because like we talked about, I see so many of them on my feed and I used to compare myself to them and, because I was comparing myself to them, it prohibited my enjoyment of their art. And instead I was more focused on like, they're going further than me, what's wrong with me, you know, this all this kind of stuff. And now I'm trying to be much more in the headspace of like, there's room for everyone. And Absolutely. Yeah. what do I that, love about this, that, you know? <laughs> that's even more on the nose, I think, of what I'm thinking about. Like to, to, to shift such that I'm experiencing other people's success in a, a legitimately authentic, positive way. Where like, because somebody's, yeah, like, especially in your local vicinity, you're in a city, you're in a music scene or whatever, and you see somebody gets an opportunity that's like, kind of illustrious or something exciting happens for them. Um, I feel that, yeah, for myself at previous times in, in the past, and also for others, that there's like sort of a negative reaction to that, as if somehow that represents that there's less to go around now for you. 
or or for others that there's somehow that means that oh you know that one that came through here this year that's the only one and they got it and it's now it's over or whatever like award season or something like that but i just don't think that's true i think the yeah you can you can actively um celebrate those instances without any sort of uh, yeah exchange or loss of value yeah and i've seen it in practice too like both personally and just around me where when artists are really celebrating each other in a consistent and ongoing way, those communities do great things. They rise up and they really support each other and it builds momentum by definition. Cause it's just, it's also exciting as an observer to see people excited about each other and whatnot. Everybody, you know, it's like passion is very contagious it, or at least it can be. Um, yeah. It's, it's something worth mm -hmm. sort of pursuing almost. Yeah, I almost feel like if your plan also is theoretically to be an artist in the long term and to make it sustainable, uh, you're going to burn out really quickly holding on to that scarcity mindset. Yes. Um, you're going to want to give up so much sooner because it's so hard to have your ego be bruised so constantly, you know? But when you celebrate other people, even if at first it feels unnatural because you're so used to like subscribing to that scarcity mindset, just trying is enough and it becomes more and more normal. And then if you realize that it feels so much better, like you were saying, to be in support of others, mm -hmm. it, it helps you go further because you're not in competition anymore. It's just like, uh, I appreciate all these different kinds of flavors of art and I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. And isn't that great? You know, yeah, And that experience of, of, passionate exchange and being excited and, and all that is re literally rejuvenating, which in the whole cycle of the thing goes back to contribute to the actual making portion, which was what sparked this whole odyssey of terror and fear and all of these things that we do or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, like at the positive end, it's become the whole thing becomes more sustainable at that level. I love that. It's so true. Like, it's a very good point that like the more you allow yourself to be, um, appreciative of someone else's art, the more you're allowing yourself to be inspired by it, too. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I love that point. I don't, and I like, you know, it's not easy to just switch those things. It's like, I mean, I don't know what the word po toxic positivity means exactly. I've heard it used, but I, I don't quite know if I understand the definition enough to to use it, even though I just said it and now I'm drawing attention to it or whatever, but, um, Let's go but it feels like, you know, the, uh, I, it, it's not easy to just be like, okay, now I'm going to just be authentically appreciative of everything I see. And now I'm just not going to be hurt by that. I don't think you could just switch that on in yourself. It's more a practice of like, yeah, I don't know. I feel over this year and last, like with certain practices I've engaged in and certain sort of, uh, self-reflection and self-work and whatever, so much more secure about my practice and my work and the, where I'm at with it and those sorts of things. And it has had nothing to do with any kind of critical or public reception. It has been a completely personal experience. That change has happened without me needing to step out of the house at all. Um, and likewise, this relationship to what I see online and what I see in my vicinity. Um, but it was a process. It was a, a relatively long process. And it was a process also of, of engaging with things that have nothing to do with music, seemingly, or like have nothing to do with the issues I'm facing in that area of my life. No, I think it's a very good point about toxic positivity. There's like another word for it, especially in like new age spirituality. And I love the concept is like, well, something that happens a lot 
in new age spiritual circles is something called spiritual bypassing where it's like i'm gonna pretend like i don't feel these like visceral human things in order to convince myself that i'm like more spiritually evolved than i really am or whatever and i think there's an equivalent with with emotions and with like the sort of shadow parts of humanity that humanity that we're all kind of ashamed of like being jealous being envious being uh having a scarcity mindset like having an ego we all have these things but we're all mm. a little bit ashamed to have these things and it can be so tempting to be like like you say to just pretend like now i'm just gonna be like happy for everyone and and it's gonna be authentic but you can't force it no. and for me i feel like just like what you said it's not so much about like pretending that i don't feel envy or jealousy or whatever it's more about being incredibly compassionate and forgiving with myself mm -hmm. that I feel those things and to understand where they come from and to be able to sit with them long enough to let them fade. And then once they have faded, the enjoyment of that person's art is natural. Like it's mm -hmm. not an effort anymore. It's just, it's just more about like melting the initial reaction so that you can get to the core of who you really are and who you really are is like innocent and loving mm -hmm. and wants to celebrate everyone. There is like a, that's how I do things. An essential part of yourself. That's like that. I'm, I can't help, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, I've always gravitated, especially after starting therapy to that whole, uh, like put your own mask on before the others in the plane or whatever that has just been so across the board, like the more that I'm able to, that, that we started the conversation with that in some ways. I should have used that analogy back then, but maybe it's a very like this conversation. It's not, it hasn't been linear. There's a lot of, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, that, that is what has allowed that type of empathetic reaction to things and like an ability to be more yeah, generous and, and feel more connected to other people has paradoxically or counterintuitively been by focusing on myself. Absolutely, 100%. I think that's really <laughs> true and very touching, you know? Yeah. That's the great paradox. Well, you know what? We did a full circle, I guess. <laughs> I think, maybe. <laughs> we just, you just dovetailed this conversation so beautifully. Like a spiral. Without even trying. <laughs> yeah, it, it has been. It's been a big, like, but, you know, again, it's the name of the game with this, this free-flowing podcast, mm -hmm. you know? That's how we do things. Uh, no limits, since you and I hate those, remember? <laughs> so yeah um i guess we can finish off by you just um telling people where they can find you and you've already mentioned i guess what's next for you but just repeating what's next for you so we don't forget um yeah i have a, a record i'm working on still i'm going to be working on it tomorrow even it'll come out at some point in 2024 um if you want to keep up to date i guess you can go it's nicholaslb.com that's pretty easy n-i-k-o-l-a-s uh yeah that's it really i i don't know i put out a record in march of this last year 2023 so that's mm -hmm. online you can listen to that as well as whatever else is there yeah <laughs> yeah great well thank you so much for coming on yes thank you man. maybe we'll do it again a part two that would be sometime. really cool it i could we could go forever i feel oh, yeah, we really could i really could i just <laughs> i feel like i'm forcing a limit on this yeah, so that enough. like no. we don't record for three hours thank but like thank but there's so much more that we could have said we'll we'll do another one i'm sure cool. yeah i would love that thank you so much for the opportunity and for responding when i reached out i think that's really I yeah, of course. Like, overjoyed with the experience. I really like Yeah.
Well, if anyone else wants to email, you know, my email is open. Reach out. If you have perspectives on this, you can hop on and tell us about your creative journey. Cool beans. Well, let's wrap it there. Okay. I'll see you in a second, but I'm going to end the call. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>